Well, this morning is the first Sunday of the new year. But why do we even recognize the new year? What is the point of that? Is it just a matter of we need some way to have a beginning of the calendar that has got to start somewhere, so we might as well have that? Is that why we do it? Uh, but if that's the case, why do people celebrate New Year's? Why is there a celebration? Yay, we did another revolution around the sun. Yay, we, we, we survived the, the journey for 365 days. Let's have a celebration. Is that what is going on? Why do we do this? Uh, people from all cultures seem to have some kind of celebration here. Even if it's not done on the same day, even if there are different concepts of when the year begins. Uh, the Chinese are well known for their extravagant New Year's celebrations, and their New Year starts on January 25th. For ourselves, our uh, calendar is based on that of the Romans. But have you ever noticed, and this is something that bugged me for a long time, September means the seventh month, October means the eighth month, November means the ninth month. December means the tenth month. But what are they? That's not how it works out, isn't it? September is the ninth month, and then uh, October is the tenth, and November is the eleventh, and so on. Why is that? Well, the reason is that in the in the Roman calendar, originally New Year's was March first. There was actually only ten months, and so December was the last month. But there was only ten months to go. And Julius Caesar is the one who added in January and February. So if January and February are your least favorite months, you have to blame Julius Caesar. It's all his fault. Now, I don't think he anticipated what uh, January and February would be like in Canada, but that's uh, that's where that came from. And so uh, our new year moved from March 1st to January 1st. Now, the Jews, uh, they celebrate a New Year's as well, but they, ha- they start theirs on a different time as well. And you perhaps have heard of the Jewish New Year. It's, uh, in Hebrew, it's called Rosh Hashanah. That's what uh, New Year's is. And you won't find that, uh, that phrase in the passage that we looked at, but the passage we looked at is actually the description of the Jewish New Year. Uh, it's more commonly called in the Bible the Feast of Trumpets. And it, even when you read this passage, you might think, I, I don't see anything there about a new year. I don't see any hint at all that this is about the beginning of a new year. And yet this is still the, the passage that Jews today, when they celebrate New Year's, they go to this passage as the description of what things are supposed to be. And so for them, uh, New Year starts around the September-October time, but it is something that is very relevant to us today, and I'm looking forward to reflecting on what this means. Now, uh, the Jewish calendar is different from ours, even in uh, the number of days in a year. And that's why holidays move around. You might have noticed that things like Hanukkah, it, it doesn't appear on the, the same day every year. It's not like our Christmas, which is always on December 25th. Hanukkah seems to move around. And so there, there is a, a shifting of these, these days. But New Year's is described here as being on the first day of the seventh month. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that the number seven is very important. It is found throughout Scripture. It's a very, very important number. But that's not the only reason why 
the new year is beginning at this time. This is not something that is just picked randomly. Rather, when this is happening, is taking place at the end of the harvest time. Uh, just before this, uh, the farmers would have brought in the harvest. Uh, the agricultural year would have come to an end. And, and people will, would have uh, begun to look back of what God had done in that past. And they would begin to anticipate how God would look forward Uh, how God would continue to provide for them in the future. So in many ways, their new year is is like a combination of our new year and our thanksgiving. Now, imagine what that would mean if we decided that we would combine New Year's and thanksgiving and just make that one big holiday. How would that inform how we understand New Year's and how would that inform how, how we understand thanksgiving? I think there's something really interesting there that they would have it in that way. And so in this this New Year celebration, they would have a trumpet because that's why it's called the, the Feast of Trumpets. They would have a trumpet call. Now, what is it that you think of when you hear uh, in your mind the, the idea of a trumpet call? For me, uh, a trumpet call is a call to action. And I get a very clear image in my mind when I think of a trumpet call. I think of a, uh, uh, an outnumbered group of people who are being attacked by the enemy and things are looking really bad. And then all of a sudden, up on a high hill, there's a, a trumpet call and there's the cavalry uh, at the top there ready to come down for the rescue. It's that call to action, the call to, to do something, to make something really happen. And yet, that's not what is being described in this passage. Rather, there's a trumpet call and it's not a call to action, but it's a call to rest. So this first day of the seventh month becomes an extra Sabbath. Now, uh, the Jews were living in a rhythm of rest every seven days. And for them, uh, Sabbath is not just a day off. I, uh, in my experience as an army chaplain, uh, when I was uh, studying at uh, chaplain school, I had the opportunity to have a, a roommate who was a Jewish rabbi, and I got to, to see what it was like for him uh, as, uh, as a Jewish person experiencing Sabbath and to be challenged by how they do that. It's not just about not going to work. There is so much more to it than that. And so that was built into the rhythm that every seven days they're going to do that. But here they get an extra Sabbath. So even if the, the day before had been a Sabbath, the first day of the seventh month becomes an extra Sabbath. It is a call to rest. It is a call to stop working and just relax and to rest. Now, why would they do that? That just doesn't seem to make sense. But think about the timing. The harvest has just come in. The agricultural year has just come to an end. They are celebrating God's faithfulness. And what they are doing by taking a rest on the first day of the new year is they are taking a step of faith by saying, we believe that God will continue to be faithful. We believe that God will provide for the coming year. And so, and we are so confident in this that we're not going to work. We're going to rest. We're going to relax. And we're just going to celebrate in our confidence in God's faithfulness. And that is an amazing thing for us to think about. They understood the priorities of life. That what was most important was not about making sure that they were working extra hard on that first day. 
but the fact that they could trust in God. The trumpet would be blown, and the people would be called to rest. Now, we're not Jewish. I assume most people here are not Jewish. So what does this mean for us? Well, I think that this actually has a lot to say to the way we start a new year. How is it in modern New Year's that most people start their year? Aside from the parties, uh, many people start their New Year with resolutions, right? Uh, and even if it's not a, a formal resolution, there's some kind of, of at least vague plan that we want to do better in the coming year. And I'm all for that. In fact, just recently I preached at our Saturday night service and I, and I looked at, at ways that we can look forward in the new year of, of uh, making better choices in, in how we live ourselves, how we relate to other people, and how we relate to God. So all those things are important. But what is that saying when we focus the New Year's on the resolutions? We're saying that what really matters for this year to be successful is how hard we work, how much we put effort into what we are doing. That's what it's saying. And you know what? That is very much about who I am as a person. When I anticipate New Year's, uh, that's I'm already thinking, okay, how can I be more effective? How can I be more efficient? How can I work harder at what I am supposed to do? And so when I hear the trumpet call, for me, that's a call to action. I hear the trumpet call, and it's time for us to get to work. We need to roll up our sleeves and get to work. There's things to be done. There's stuff for us to do. If we don't do it, we're in big trouble. So we need to to get working because this is all about us. But that's not what this passage is saying. What this passage is saying is when the trumpet calls, then we are called not to work harder, but we're called to rest. We're called to relax with some tea. From Tim Hortons. I really should be preaching right now, but I've been called to rest. (laughs) That message is so against what our culture states. Our culture says we, and I'm talking not just the, the outside culture, the worldly culture, but even the culture of the church, which says we have got to work hard. But this passage challenges me to move from a posture of striving to a posture of trust. What if I start my New Year's not with this uh, anxiety about how much harder I need to work, with, if I replace that with a posture of, of trusting, to look back and say, you know what, God really came through last year. He provided for me. He was active in my family. Uh, He was active in my ministry. He was active in my spiritual life. I suppose I could probably trust that he's going to do that again in this year. That's not to say that I'm not going to work hard this year. It's not to say I'm, I'm not going to try to be effective in what I do. But I can start the year resting in who God is. What happens if I change my motto from, I got to get this done, to God's got this. Can I change that motto? 
What about us as a congregation? Can we do the same thing? How do we start our New Year's? I guarantee you that right now, there are thousands of pastors this Sunday, today, who are preaching a message on their 2020 vision of saying, if we are going to be the church God wants, these are the things we've got to do. Here's a list of things that we have to accomplish. And you know what? That fits with my personality. I actually would like to preach that message. And maybe you will hear that message at some point this year. But we can start the year by saying, God, did you come through last year? And we can think as a congregation, when we look over the past year, can we see examples of where God has come through, where the harvest has come in? Not the agricultural harvest, but the spiritual harvest. Have we seen new people coming to the church? Have we seen um, uh, changed lives? Have we seen people growing in their relationship with Jesus? Have we seen uh, hungry people being fed? Uh, Have we seen God providing the resources that we need to do ministry? Those are the questions that we have to ask. You know, the easiest measure for churches to figure out if they're being uh, successful is to look at the number of people in the pews and the the amount of money that's put in the offering plate. Those are the easiest ways to measure. But what if we instead we measured by how faithful God was and our willingness to trust in God's faithfulness. That's a little bit harder to measure, but maybe that is the true measure. Maybe that's what this passage is calling us to do. Maybe this passage is saying for us that, yes, there is a place for us to work hard. There's a place for us to to be generous with our money and to be volunteering our time and all of those things. But also, we need to begin the year remembering who God is, to come with a posture of trusting, a posture of resting in God's faithfulness, and to be reminded that what is going to happen in this year is not about our own effort, and then God off to the side as our mascot, as he's just kind of watching what we're doing. But instead, it's about God working through us, that what's going to take place in this year is going to be because of God's effort, and we can trust and rest in that. I want you to to fast forward from this passage in Leviticus and go right into the New Testament, right through the New Testament, and think about the return of Jesus Christ. And we've talked about that even recently as we looked at the book of Revelation. And when you look at Revelation, and when you look at other passages such as uh, 1 Thessalonians, when it talks about Jesus' return, uh, what accompanies that? There's a trumpet call that goes with that. And some scholars have made that connection between the trumpet call when Jesus returns and the trumpet call of that Jewish New Year, of the Feast of Trumpets. Because what happens when Jesus returns? It's the end of all the striving. It's the entering into the eternal Sabbath. That is what we are looking forward to. And we can have a taste of that right now. What does how we start our New Year's say about who we think God is? Do we see him as someone who leaves it all up to us, that it's all about our effort? Or do we see God as being actively involved in our ministry, in our lives, and in our families? 
What does it say about who God is? Let us pray. God, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for this new year. And even though we celebrate our new year on a totally different day than that of the the Israelites of old, uh, you are still the same God. And as you provided for them in their harvest, you provide for us. You provide for us in our families. You provide for us as individuals. You provide for us as a church. And we can trust in you. We can believe that you will be there for us. And so we come to you today from that posture, not of striving, but a posture of trust. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.